the last few weeks, the last three weeks or two weeks, we've been talking about trials. And we've been talking about um, why trials come and is God tempting us. And I'd like us to look at Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and verse 29. And as you're turning there, take a, a little drink of something. Romans 8, verse 28 and verse 29. Okay. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good. Two things, for those who love God. And when we say loving God, it just means us responding to the love of God that was towards us first. Because there's nothing inside of us that would love God outside of God's love in us for those who love God and number two for those who are called according to his purpose and if we don't understand that we're called according to God's purpose and if we don't understand that God first loved us then not everything's going to work to our good and in verse 29 gives us the purpose clause it tells us why these things happen and that word here in verse 29 is to be conformed to the image of his son and we said three things, uh, we said two things, and I'm going to say a third thing today. And let me just review the first Sunday we were talking about that when there's any kind of change, whether positive or negative, in our life, it's a trial. It's a change. Anything that, whenever something happens to us, whether it's an awesome thing or maybe hardship, that is going to leave us, we're going to be changed in one way or another. And it's impossible not to be changed. And trial, and the word trial, and the word temptation in James chapter 1. In English, we have two words, trial and temptation. But in the Greek, it's one word. Because a trial can turn into a temptation. And that's the second thing that we said last week, that a trial can turn into a temptation in our life when we cease to, when we just stop, when we just cease from receiving grace in the midst of the hardship. When we're in a hardship, we need to remember three things. Number one, what's the purpose of it? that we be conformed into the image of Christ. And number two, that we would not stop receiving grace from God. And grace means favor. And when you're in a trial, when I'm in a trial, you know what happens? What's the first thing that we think? I know the thing I think is that I did something wrong because we are guilty creatures. We're, we're creatures that have uh, the, the, foundation, the foundation of our soul as a creature so often is that there is uh, the sense of guilt or wrongdoing or imagined guilt or something that we feel that we are experiencing this because we deserve this hardship. I remember when we lived in Ukraine, we were um, helping a married couple. And this one woman, uh, she was married to a, a, a man who just was just really a, a brute. And, and many times she would come to my brother, Pastor Jason, and us for counsel. And one time, I remember, she said to us, um, I deserve this. This is what I deserve. And I think that if we don't understand a trial, hardship when it comes, if we're not thinking with God, if our Bible's not open, if we're not receiving favor, if we're not understanding the favor of God in our life, then we're going to start thinking erroneously about the, the very thing that God sent into our life to bless us. The end game in every trial, the end game in every difficulty, the end game, and I don't want to really use that word game because it's not a game with God, but the end goal in trials in our life is that 
we would know God, we would know ourselves better, and that we would understand his blessing in our life. And when a trial happens, we need to discern it. We need to discern what it is. And number three, and I want to talk about this today, how we are changed. Uh, when a trial comes, it's really to change us into the image of Christ. And so I want to just say two things. Number one, um, really three things. Number one, um, how we're going to be changed when we see Jesus Christ face to face. You ever think about that? When you see him face to face, in real life, you're going to see your Savior face to face. I really think about that day. I think about that day approaching the, uh, the vindicating judgment seat of Christ. And we talked about that last Sunday. If you'd like to hear about that, it's on our YouTube channel. It's, it's when we go to the throne of God, it's going to be a place not where our sins are going to be judged because they've already been judged on the cross. It's going to be the judgment seat of Christ, which is called the Bema seat, which happens after you and I pass. We die, we stand before Christ. There is the Bema seat of Christ, and it's a Bema seat. It's a judgment seat of reward, of recompense, of vindication. It's a place of giving back. It's, a, it's, like, a, it's like we have a claim. And, and when we've been wrong, when we, when we have been wronged or when we've been victimized, and we choose to put it in God's hands, there's a reward for that. And that's the, that is the vindicating um, judgment seat of Christ. And so when we see him, that we're going to be changed immediately. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, Beloved, now we are, the ch- we are the children of God and has not yet been revealed what we shall be. Listen to this. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. What does that mean? It means that when Christ is revealed, when Christ, when Christ comes, when we see him face to face, and we see him in all of his glory, Remember at Mount Sinai, the children of Israel could not approach the mountain. And if they approached the mountain where God's presence was, they would be burned alive or they would, have to be, they would have to be killed. Or if there was an animal that would even kind of wander too close to the Mount Sinai, Sinai where the law of Moses was given, that that animal had to be killed or a spear put through it. But Christ now, Christ has come with a new covenant and his glory is approachable. We can approach him. And when we see him face to face, it's not going to be a moment of condemnation or shame, but it's going to be a moment where we are changed in a moment. We're going to look at him and we're going to be like, wow. And we're just like, we're going to have just his look is going to change us from head to toe. That's what we have to look forward to. But you know something, when we think of that, when John is writing this, and he's writing this in 1 John chapter 3, he's on an island called Patmos under tremendous persecution, he's writing and thinking about the glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ. And it's going to be so powerful. It's going to transform us on the spot. Why? Why? What will happen? How will that be? Why, we, why will we become glorious and perfect and everything with us will go away? Why? When we see him, we'll be changed. The second thing is, is I want to say before we get into the third thing, how we, be, how we are changed, I want to say that the second thing is, is how we are not changed. And this is important because I think that sometimes when we think about our Christianity, we're thinking, okay, I've got to try harder. I've got to work harder. Um, I need to apply more WD-40 elbow grease. You know, I need to try harder. I need to put more pressure on my will or pre- put pressure on somebody else's will. We never change by just trying harder. We may adjust our moral behavior. And that's not Christianity, by the way. Christianity, Christ did not come 
to tell us and give us a commandment to morally reform ourselves. That's religion without Christ. That's a religion without relationship. That's a religion without a transforming cross. That's Phariseeism. Because that kind of religion ends in one of two ways always. Number one, either self-righteousness. Look what I did. I've reformed myself, but I have an untransformed heart. Or number two, I can't reform myself, and so I'm a failure. That's what religion does. It produces, two, it produces a society that has two extremes. The self-righteous, the accomplished, the successful, the proud, the arrogant, the, you know, those people. And then there are people that, are, uh, that consider themselves failures, that didn't make the cut, that didn't, that didn't get there. But when Christ came, he spoke to people, and he transformed something that nobody could transform, and that's the human heart. And that's what I want to talk about just for a couple more minutes this morning. When we look at ourselves, and I don't know about you, but sometimes we can be a little impatient with ourselves. I need to be more patient. I need more honesty. Um, I need to be more forgiving. I need to be more generous. I need to be more brave. We can't do that by just trying. Because when we do that, we're going to say, when we try to do that, we're going to say, I need to be those things because I have to. I need to do that to get to heaven. Or I need to have this feeling, I have to do this in order so that I can feel good about myself. I have to do this to get the approval of others. It's amazing what we do for approval, isn't it? Facebook and you know the social media. On social media, we just put the uh, we just put this image of the idealistic life of what I want everybody to think about who I am and who we are. And then when real life, it's just you know it's something different. And we do that why? Because we we really desire people to look at us and to approve of us, and for us to uh, uh, enjoy a new image that that only Christ can do, and we can't maintain that. And we can't do this without, we can't create this change inside because when we do, it's only a superficial change. It's only something that never lasts. It's like a diet. I mean, how many of you have ever done the diet thing? You get on a diet, <laughs> I can't probably raise my hand. Uh, we get on a diet. Why we get on a diet? Because I, this is something I need to do. My doctor said I need to be on a diet. Or I want to look better. I want to feel better. Or this is something I really need to do. Or someone in my family really wants me to diet, right? When we have that kind of motivation, that diet never sticks, does it? Actually, my wife, who's in health and wellness, she doesn't like that word diet. She just uses another word. When we do something because it's something that we feel that we should do, and it's not, our heart's not in it, then it's not lasting change. And this is why we are not changed. Because when we put pressure on the will, we don't change the real thing that needs to be changed in us. And that is the wonder of our heart. Let me talk about that just for a second. The wonder of our heart. Do you know that our heart, your heart, my heart, is in a continual state of wonder? We are beholding something continually. Either we're looking at ourselves in the, min in the mirror. Wow, I look great. Or we're looking at something else on a screen, and we're wondering at that. We're creatures of wonder. Um, if you have, if you've had a child, or you have a child, a young child, an infant, it's in a continual state of wonder, isn't it? He or she is in a place of just amazement, continual, beholding, um, assimilating, um, receiving, um, in a state of wonder. And I think that what happens is, is that, you know, as, as a person ages, people might say, well, I've seen everything, nothing surprises me anymore, but that's not true. At every age of our life, we're in a continual state of wonder. 
we're wondering about something. We can be wondering about the state of evil. We can be wondering about the state of good. We can be wondering about the state of our political state. We can be wondering about, the, about our child's accomplishment. We're, we're continually in a place of wonder. And David said this in Psalm chapter 4, stand in awe, be in awe. And I think that this could happen in the church. And this is what happens in churches, is that as a church, we lose the state of our awe. And what happens is we come in and it's like, you know, I, I'm not from the, 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 this area of, of Texas. I'm not from the South. And, and we, we grew up in a very stoic part of New England. And, you know, where everything is just, there's a lot of just intellectualism and philosophy up there. And, and, I, and you know, I, we grew up in an environment where there wasn't a lot of wonder. And when you come into a church and Christ is not the wonder, it's not the focus, it's not the thing that we are worshiping, it's not the person that we are worshiping, you know what happens? Is that we start wondering at something else. Programs or this or that, and those are important. But if we lose our wonder of Christ, A.W. A. Tozer said this, the most important thing about a church is its concept of who Christ is. You and I are only as victorious and powerful and, 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 and live in the strength of Christ, in our Christianity to the measure that we understand Christ and who he is. We were created to worship. We, worship, we can worship the American dollar. We can worship our family history. We can worship our accomplishments or the lack thereof. Whatever we worship. You know, love and fear are really the same thing in a lot of ways. Love is I'm wondering in, in bewilderness and admire, ad, bewilderment and admiring. And then fear is the same thing. Fear is worship. When I'm fearing something, I'm giving that thing power in my life to take my joy away. If I fear a person or a personality or a circumstance, or I fear my health situation, or in whatever you want to plug in there, when we live in fear, we're actually worshiping that thing. And that's why, that's why today dictators and, and people that are, that are um, uh, with malintent, they live with this kind of, this projection of fear, and it's actually a form of worship. And if we don't fear, if we live in anything else other than the fear of the Lord, we're worshiping that thing. And that's why Christ wants to be, that's why Christ must be the center of our wonder, the wonder of our heart. And I just want to park there for a minute. This is the third thing. How do we, how are we changed? I want to look at second, I want to read Second Corinthians chapter 3 to you, verses 16 through 18. And I love scripture. Scripture really speaks to me. It's really where I think our faith needs to lie. It's the foundation of our faith. Not the, not the opinions of men or traditions. And it says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord. What's repentance? Is it emotional chastisement? Is it me beating myself emotionally? Is it me going to a religious organization and getting a formatted prayer, pray this 45 times and you'll be forgiven, when you turn to the Lord. That's what repentance is. It means to turn away from one thing to another. The strength of sin in our life is the strength of sin is because of the law. I'm looking at the law, the do's and the don'ts, the moral tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which has no power to change. But when we turn to the Lord, turn to the Lord. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. What's that veil? A veil is like this material that would block the eyes. It would cloud the eyes and it would do two things. The person that's wearing a veil, nobody could see their eyes. You couldn't really see what they're looking at. In the Islamic part of the world where um, there is 
uh, Islam is really prevalent. You go there and, and if you've traveled overseas, you see this. You see that um, women are just from head to toe, they in some cases are just dressed in total, like in a total cover. And our friend of ours, she's from Finland, and she was a missionary there in um, the Middle East. And she said what she would do is that when the ladies would get together, um, they, would, um, they would really dress up their eyes with makeup. Because that's the only thing, in some cases, that people could see. And a woman could know a lot about another woman by just looking at her fingernails and her eyes. When the veil is over our eyes, there's not transparency, there's not genuineness, we're not knowable. And I think that we live behind veils, we live behind these walls because of shame. And shame is when, shame is when, shame is when something happens to my life. And, and when I do something wrong, when we do something wrong, guilt is a result. Guilt is something objective. I can say, you know, I did this thing wrong. Okay, this is, I can point to, I can point to, this is a bad thing I did, right? Shame is when that guilt is internalized and it gets under my skin. Shame is when I'm point, looking at myself. I am wrong. There's something wrong with me. And this is not what God wants. God does not want us to live in shame. When we turn to the Lord, when we turn to the Lord, there's no shame. Remember when, 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 when a Jesus was coming out from being arraigned and he was convicted and they were leading him off to the cross and Peter turned he was he was in a place where he could turn and, and their eyes met for a minute just for a second and then Peter ran off because of shame Jesus comes back in John 21 and meets him cooks breakfast for him and he and he reaffirms his love for Peter when we meet Christ there's no shame there there's no awareness of guilt there's no awareness of because it's all been paid for. Because the problem is that Christ, the problem is not that I am the problem. The, 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 the thing is, is that Christ bore all that sin and shame. When we turn to the Lord, the veil is taken away. There's no more need to wear veils and masks. Uh, there's no, ne no more need anymore to portray or project some kind of image because we sense, in we're sense insecurity. Verse 17, where the Lord is that spirit, the spirit of the Lord is there is liberty. And I love that. You know, you can tell when the Lord is in something, there's a sense of liberty. It's not like, you know, it's like contrived or like controlled or pushed or projected. When the Lord is in something, and you know, Jesus was extremely simple. And I think that if we lived during those years when Christ was on the earth, I think we'd be amazingly surprised at how simple he was. And so low maintenance and so... So unassuming. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Liberty from what? Liberty from the bondages of shame and guilt and these things that pull us into, into um, uh, the addictions that people live in. We live in a culture today that we've created a culture of addictions and bondages because we live in so much shame. But when we turn to the Lord, the, the veil is taken away. There is liberty. Verse 18, but we all, I love that, we all, we all, with an unveiled face, meaning there's no masks, we can look at him face to face, eye to eye, unveiled face, beholding as the mirror of the glory of the Lord. I know you've heard this verse before, but I want to say something that I've never seen before until this week when I was studying this verse. When it says here, beholding is in a mirror the glory of the Lord, that actually is really one word in the Greek. That means to contemplate. Beholding means to contemplate. Beholding means to to look, 
to be in a place of awe. Beholding means a place of contemplation, thinking, letting things going down deep into our heart. And it says here that when we are with an unveiled face beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord, it means I'm looking at something. Here's a good example. I'm looking at something and I'm saying, that's me. Remember when Peter was in the boat, right? And Jesus is walking on the water, right? I love this. I, th- I love this story. I love this story. And it speaks to me so much. Jesus is walking on the water. Peter, and I love Peter. I mean, Peter was like the head apostle. Why? Because he was the smartest. No. He was the bravest. He was the one that was ready to step out and do the, do the thing that nobody else wanted to do. And like the disciples were like, oh man, Peter's going to embarrass himself again. And Peter's in the boat and he sees Jesus. And what does Peter do? He said, Lord, if you call me, I'm going to come and walk on that water. Don't you love that? Because Peter here is not thinking about all of his mistakes and, oh, I blew it and I had a f- another fight with Apostle, you know, D- Disciple John because I think they had like this conflict kind of going on. And, and so, so Peter sees Jesus on the water and he says, if you call me, I'll come out there. And then Jesus says, what does he say? Come. Don't you love the simplicity of faith? A faith walk with Jesus Christ? Jesus is not saying, hey, how you doing today, Peter? Did you sin? Did you do that? How's your thought life doing? How's your marriage going? You know, all this, how's your business? And Jesus, come, just come out in the water. And what does Peter do? He steps out and he starts walking. What is that? This is a perfect picture, I think, of what it means to be behold the glory of the Lord as in a mirror. What is happening is, is that Peter sees Jesus and he says, that's me. That's me in the water. I want to do that. Do you ever look at someone that's really impacted your life, a great role model? Maybe you've heard someone speak or you've seen someone that has served and sacrificed in a great way. And you look at that person as a young person, maybe as a young person here, and you look at that person and you say, that's me. That's me in five years. That's what it means to behold the glory of the Lord. We're looking at Christ and we're saying, that is me. That's what it means in this day-to-day experience. We're beholding and wondering at Christ and seeing his miracles. We open the word. And by the way, if the word is not open, it can't help us. And and read the gospels. You know what? This week, I have a homework assignment for you. Can we do that in church? Homework. Read a gospel. Read the gospel of Mark. It's an easy read. Just go through it. Just read it like a book and let, let it speak to you. Words like astonishment and immediately and straightway. I think that's a King James word. And these are words that when we read this, we're beholding Christ and we're beholding his glory and it's speaking to us and it's changing us. And what does it do? It means that when we contemplate the glory of the Lord, we're seeing it through faith. We're seeing it and it's changing us. Three examples. Number one, Paul. He's on the road to Damascus. He's walk, he is anti, he's like al-Baghdadi. He's like Saddam Hussein. He's like the baddest guy on the planet at, in Christianity at that time. And he's on his way to do some damage to the church. Jesus says, Saul, Saul. And, 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 Peter see, uh, and Paul sees him. And in a moment, he's changed. This is how it is for us. Paul turns away from his thing he's doing. And he's looking at Christ. And in that moment, he's changed. You know, when you share the gospel with somebody... When you share the gospel, when you share your faith with somebody, um, we may be like, well, they didn't really respond or I don't know if they even heard me. The gospel is the kind of message, the gospel of grace, the gospel of the finished work is the kind of message that when you share it with somebody, their life has changed forever. Do you know why? Because they're faced with a decision. At that moment, they're changed forever. Why? Because they have to make a decision. Yes or no, or I need to think about this. 
but they're changed forever. When you and I share our faith with somebody, that Christ died for you, he loves you, there's a heaven, there's a hell, there's an eternity, that we will be, we will be somewhere for eternity, that's going to change them forever. Paul on the road to Damascus. Number two, Mount Moses on Mount Sinai. He comes down from the, from the mountain and his face is shining. And then Joshua, before he goes into battle, he is, he's there, he's ready to go to battle and he meets, he meets a pre-incarnate um, manifestation of Jesus Christ, the angel of the Lord with his sword drawn. And I want to close with, the, I want to close with this. Beholding is the key to change. Looking at Christ is going to change us. And what do we mean by that practically? Well, when you see Christ facing hell for you and I, or setting his face like a flint towards Jerusalem, and not flinching in any way, and he's doing it for you, and we say, Jesus, you did this for me, that's going to make us courageous. Looking at ourselves, trying to find courage inside of ourselves, trying to find what we need to face, what we need to face. Looking inside, we're not gonna find it there. We're gonna find brokenness. We're gonna find the ability to be good, moral, but not enough. We turn to the Lord and we see his courage, his courageousness. That's gonna change us. And we behold that, live in wonder of his courage. Live in wonder of his grace. Live in wonder of his un unbelievable love for the outcast of society, for the prostitute, for the tax collector, for the person that's been rejected by society. His love and his, and his patience and his, and his determination to go see Matthew, the tax collector, or, or these people that Jesus met. When we look at Christ like that, there's a state of wonder. Be in wonder, and I wanna close with this. To live and, and to experience change in our life, we need to take our eyes off of ourselves and look unto him. We need to stop looking. Remember in the Old Testament that snakes were biting the children of Israel and then Moses takes this brazen serpent and he puts him up on a pole and God says, look away from the, the snake bites and look at away from the pain and look away from the swelling and look at the brazen serpent on the pole which spoke of the judgment of sin. And when we look at that, the sin in our life begins to lose power. There was, a, there was somebody that I know who was really struggling with just a, an addiction that, that seems to be befalling everybody these days. And, and he just couldn't get victory over it. And I remember when he was right in the middle of temptation, there was a moment where he acknowledged the presence of God. He said, God is in this room right now. God's with me. And it's not a, it's not a presence of condemnation. It's not a presence of expectation. It's not a, it's not a presence of dis disappointment or or anger or embarrassment. The presence of Christ was in that room with that person. And in that moment of temptation, there was no condemnation. And you know what he did in Romans chapter 8, verse 1? He understood that Christ was present. And he said that from that moment, Christ met me in the midst. And, and I, had, I was making my bed in hell. And he was there in Psalm 139. And knowing that Christ was present, and that he put his finger on my heart and put his finger on my, on my situation. There was no condemnation. I began to be held the purity and the love of Christ. And that began to change my life. And what happened? It gave me vision. It gave me, you know why? why you know why we live in just, and we live in these cycles of failure and discouragement and, and, and things that we face or, you know, we're in a situation and we just live in the cycle of maybe depression or anger or, or nervousness or worry. You know why we do that? It's because we don't sense the presence of the love of God in that moment. When we practice the presence, in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, it says the Holy Spirit 
And this is why we need the Holy Spirit in our life. We need the Holy Spirit to be active. We need to ask him to fill us in Ephesians chapter 5. When the Holy Spirit comes in and he begins to shed abroad like a light goes into a dark room, the love of God. That's going to change your life. It's going to change your life. Let it in. Let the veil be taken away. Practice the presence of God. Practice the Practice the mercy and the kindness and the joy of Christ in the midst of where, where normally you'd be, you'd be so embarrassed of the temptation or so embarrassed of what's happening and you want to isolate. Some of us isolate. And when that happens, don't isolate. Just, just enjoy the presence of God, the, the promises of God. And you know what will happen is that as we turn away from that beggarly, whatever that is, and we look to a mighty, gracious, amazing Jesus who's standing there with all the glory and all the love and all the acceptance, and then we can face anything in our life. And that's what, that's what our Christianity really is about. It's not me putting pressure on my will. I gotta be better, because that doesn't bring lasting change. What brings lasting change is when we look at Christ. One look, and I was thinking of Isaiah 45, I think it's verse 22, it says, look unto me and be saved. That's all it is. That word saved in the Hebrew there is a word to be delivered. This week, I don't know what we're going to be facing this week. Um, maybe some surprises, maybe some things that we're, we're really anxious about. But when we face these things, Jesus is there. He's by your side. His love casts out all fear. And when we walk with it, when we bear these things, when we walk with Christ, and we, bear, we behold Him, we live in a state of wonder, just amazement. I think the book of Revelation, you know, when John is talking about his vision of Christ, it's amazing. You read that. Eyes of fire, tongue like a sword, hair like it's just white as wool. Live in a state of amazement and that's going to change your week.